Welcome to episode 270 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings help new people find the show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website with the archive of all 270 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is multidisciplinary artist Jasmine Jen. I was looking at your website and you describe yourself there as a multidisciplinary artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to, I mean, I can sort of recite what's there, but I'd like to hear from you what the disciplines that you, that you practice are. And later on, a little after that, let's get into uh, how you became a multidisciplinary artist. Yes. Well, those two answers are entwined, I would say. Um, I'm very fortunate that from a very young age, I was immersed in many different forms of art. As a young person, you know, I, I grew up playing make-believe like most theater artists do and, and humans do. And uh, from, you know, as soon as I could walk, I was dancing. And my mother tells me that, you know, as as early as the age of three, I was asking her if I could take ballet and take dance. Um, and, you know, I my family is a family of singers, so music is very important to me. I, I love singing. Uh, I feel so grateful that I was able to participate in a lot of choirs when I was a young person as well. So that's just part of my being. And you know, we use these fancy words like multidisciplinary, but I I do believe that as humans, we respond to all different forms of art. And for myself, I, I like to dabble in as many and have as many um, working in tandem as possible. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the facts that, you know, we all start as children imagining and play acting and playing and and uh children when they when they play when they imagine they immerse themselves in in what they're doing and it becomes Mm -hmm. so real for them Mm -hmm. and at some point when we grow up when we get a little older we stop doing that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then as actors we have to relearn Mm -hmm. how to get to that sense of imagination and play Mm -hmm. um did 
uh, for you, did you have to un did you have to unlearn forgetting how to play, or was that something that you managed to to hold on to through uh, your childhood and into your teen years? Mm, that's a great question, and and I want to unpack that a little bit. You know, what child doesn't draw? What child? you know, doesn't like to hum, you know, funny kind of tuneless melodies. Um, and I think at a certain point in our, you know, at least in kind of traditional schooling, at a certain point, children are told, okay, now it's time to be serious. Now it's time to study and not, you know, uh, be silly or do these trivial things like playing, you know, at a certain point you get to high school and you don't have recess anymore. Uh, the, the value of play and the necessity of play is no longer seen as that. It's no longer seen as a necessity to the human spirit um, to have the space and time afforded to play. Um, and also to find that sense of abandon where you can imagine. And I think to answer your question, I think, you know, especially in arts education and then in post-secondary you know, suddenly you're paying thousands of dollars to train to be a quote unquote professional. And I think for myself, what I had to relearn was, you know, to not take myself so seriously that um, to to rediscover that sense of play and that sense of losing self-consciousness um, losing that inner critic that becomes so loud, especially as a teenager when you're trying to find your peer group, you're trying to impress others. Um, and then, you know, later on into your professional career, you're trying to, uh, especially right now with the use of social media, there's a lot of talk about artists branding themselves um, mm. and how you represent yourself online and to your community. And while those tools have really democratized a lot of processes and can be very empowering for artists, I think it adds a lot of pressure um, to have to define yourself in a certain way. Mm. And in that, it, it means you know, maybe canceling out other aspects of yourself that you might think, oh, well, this doesn't fit my my image or what people think that I do. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I remember it's funny because, you know, thinking about the ways that people brand themselves and make themselves stand out on social media. Mm. Um, when I was in theater school, way it's a long time ago, no need to go into the actual time frame. <laughs> um, we We were essentially told and taught be a blank slate. Mm. Don't, don't have like, you know, don't grow a beard unless they tell you to grow a beard. Don't, <laughs> you know, make sure that your hair isn't too long. Make sure that it's as generic as possible. Don't mm. make a state, but not too much. And now mm. I see people, you know, with, with like, like being themselves. And that is a thing like, like being able to make that statement about who they are in a way that, that, that we were taught was not an option for us. Mm, mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And speaking from my experience as a racialized artist as well, I, I'm not neutral. <laughs> um, you know, I, 
I'm an Asian person. I'm an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. And while our, our industry has changed a lot and there are so many more opportunities, I still do belong to a visible minority group. I'm not mm -hmm. considered part of the dominant culture that many of us in North America grew up with, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we mostly grew up seeing a lot of white faces. And so mm -hmm. up until very recently, um, you know, and still BIPOC artists aren't, we're not a, a blank, a blank slate. Mm -hmm. um, our, our skin comes with us everywhere we go. Um, and people will make assumptions and associations uh, based on that. Mm -hmm. That's very true. That's very true. I mean, I, you know, thinking back to my, my class of graduates uh, at theater school, we were a class of white people, <laughs> you know, and I think that was not uncommon for us at the time to mm -hmm. every couple of years, there would be uh, a racialized person. There might be uh, a black girl or a black boy, but never too many. One or the other, thank you. You know, it was like, mm -hmm. let's check off our box of diversity, but let's not go mm -hmm. too far. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that was sort of endemic, sort of like part of of the theater world of the time mm -hmm. that I was in theater school that mm -hmm. has taken, and I think it, we've, we haven't quite rid ourselves of the white default in the arts. Mm -hmm. And that starts at theater school and it continues on further. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really inspired by the conversations that are happening in our industry right now about, you know, for such a long time, we spoke about diversity on stage mm -hmm. and more and more the conversation is shifting towards who are the marginalized artists who are occupying positions of power, who actually have the ability to make decisions to open the door to more artists of, uh, you know, marginalized backgrounds mm -hmm. so that it's, it's not just about what you see on stage, but who's in the boardroom mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, who's occupying executive positions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And those are important conversations. It's, it's, mm -hmm. Too many productions will will tokenize. So let's let's mm -hmm. do a production of this, but our entire office is is white. The entire structure is mm -hmm. white, and that's something that does need to be shaken up. That I mean, there are theaters that are doing a great job of of shaking that up and changing that, but mm -hmm. they are a few, and mm -hmm. there need to be more. Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought that up. That you know, even the term tokenization, it's it's not just on stage. It can also happen in the office too, right? Mm -hmm. If you have an organization where you only have maybe one or two people of color on staff, are those people being supported? Are their voices being listened to? And that's the conversation that we're having now and, and is going into, you know, hiring processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that the conversation is happening now in a way that it never could have. And I've said this before on this show that like as, as terrible and, and tragic as it is that, that the theaters are closed during the pandemic, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. necessary. Mm -hmm. um, it affords us the opportunity to have serious conversations that would be easier for organizations to ignore with the excuse. Those things take time and we're in the middle of production and production mm -hmm. is a constant thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
And I do think, you know, I do think a lot of people have been trying and, and, and a lot of times it, those, you know, saying we, we want to put in the time, um, right now, you know, we have our, our plates full and, the thing with theater is that our plates are always going to be full, you know, right Mm -hmm. now. Yes. The pandemic has caused us to adapt in, in ways that we never could have imagined. And our industry is in crisis. Um, But you're so right that when we do return to the theaters, we can't say, Oh, okay, great. Now we're back in production. Um, You know, Oh, we don't have time anymore to, to mm-hmm. think about those, um, you know, conversations about equity and justice. We're, we're too busy putting our theater back together. They have to be part of the same process. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and so many theaters made a commitment mm-hmm. earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And none of us can forget about that commitment. So that yeah. when the theaters open up, if any, if any theaters try to forget that, you know, it was fashionable to make a commitment at that time, but now we have to go back to normal. No, 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 no. You don't get to do that. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think people have been really galvanized and, and the community sees the community pays attention. And mm. I'm really inspired by younger generations who really aren't afraid to use their voices and mm. to hold organizations accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you are currently in Vancouver. I am. Um, you you go back and forth between Toronto and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Well, I did before you the did pandemic. before the pandemic. Obviously, that's what I mean. Like in normal times, you would go back and forth between yeah. the two. How has been staying in Vancouver since March uh, been for you? How's the how's the whole lockdown been for you? How's your mm-hmm. how's how are you doing with all of this? Oh, that's a very kind question. I'm doing okay, you know, really, really taking it day by day. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to keep working during this time. Um, I'm currently at Gateway Theatre as an artistic and community producer. So all those conversations we just mentioned were in that process. Um, as well, continuing my work as an independent artist, but I'm not going to lie. There are, there are many days where I'm really homesick and, you know, I was raised in Toronto. Um, I trained at Ryerson. I graduated the Toronto theater community made me the artist that I am. And so many people I love and care about are in that city. And, And I'm deeply invested in that community, which is why, you know, people will ask me, oh, are you in Vancouver permanently now? And I and I always say, no, of course not. I, you know, whenever possible, I I still want to be able to be in both cities, you know, if I could kind of clone myself Um, because Toronto is home, but also Toronto is so vibrant, I I Hmm. think what is so special about that city is that there are just so many people who are so hungry to make work and to support one another and to grow uh, the ecology. Uh, what what was it that first took you out to Vancouver? What When did you start being sort of a 
by city or that's not even a word, but you know, somebody <laughs> who, who, who travels between two cities. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I came out here in 2017 because I was invited by Giovanni C who was the artistic director of Gateway Theatre, which is where I am now. So he was the former AD, and he invited me to be part of a Mandarin language uh, intensive. So this was the first time that I got to workshop a play in my mother tongue. Uh, Gateway had invited a director from Taiwan to direct this, you know, two-week workshop where... Mandarin-speaking artists from across the country got an opportunity to be in the same room together, to play together, to really dive into the language together. And and that was an incredibly transformative experience for me. And at that time, uh, the Push Festival was happening, which happens every mm. winter, which is a big international festival, uh, but also has a lot of local work. And so I was seeing local work and and learning about a lot of artists in Vancouver who came from a very interdisciplinary background and practice. And the kind of work that I was seeing, I I hadn't seen before. And the ways that people were making work, I hadn't experienced before. And so I felt that it was time for me to experience something different and, and learn new ways of of making especially because because I am interested in in you know these hybrid forms of performance um and so I was able to connect with some of those creators that I was really curious about and so in the last almost 3 years I've been able to get uh, a window into that and and actually be in those rehearsal halls and experience a different way of rehearsing and making. And and that's been really fruitful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, as far as, you know, you, you are as an actor, a creator and a dancer. Um, is there one of those three things that you feel drawn the most to? I think I'm a performer at heart, and I really mean performer in mm. the broadest sense of, of the word, whether I'm singing or moving or or acting. Um, I really do think it's all part of connecting with an audience and using my body as my instrument. Um, so that's how I entered into this world, and, mm. and I think that'll always be at the heart of it. So that even when I'm directing, which is a relatively recent practice, I started training as a director in 2011. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been that long now. Hmm. Um, But even when I'm directing, I'm very conscious of the performer's process. And Hmm. as a director, I try as much as possible to support that process. So to work with the individual actor or performer to find out you know, what do they need in order to fully explore the the character that they're playing or to uh, fully realize the world in which they inhabit? Hmm. Um, now, I, so I saw at, 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 uh, 
at Soul Pepper, a production of Yellow Rabbit. Oh. <laughs> and so uh, were you like in terms of your role in that? Did I see you on stage? Because there's so many people that I knew Aaron, but I didn't know people, the people on stage. Did I see you in that or were you just involved in the creation of that show? No. Or? So I directed that piece. Mm. Um, Silk Bath approached me. Um, so they, so I believe Aaron had directed the two earlier versions of Silk Bath. Mm-hmm. And then when, when they were writing Yellow Rabbit for Soul Pepper, they asked me if I would direct. Hmm. What was it like coming into a project that, that was both n- sort of new, but also had had previous iterations? Mm-hmm. How much of the previous work did you, did you take in? Uh, and how much did you sort of discard as you as you sort of started working on the newest version of it? Mm-hmm. I think it really came from the writing. It's the same team. It's uh, Gloria, Bessie, and Aaron. So their sensibilities, their humor, um, their mischievousness uh, is all contained in that text. And I really tried to respond to what they were giving me. So they felt that they wanted to try something new. They wanted to follow these different characters that were versions of the previous characters, but um, I think they wanted to explore new territory. Um, So they were really great in, in giving me license to just really explore the text but Aaron was heavily involved you know he was in rehearsals with us every day Mm -hmm. uh Gloria was with us almost every day um Bessie was in it so uh they they were present uh every step of the way Mm -hmm. um as uh, when you think about that production um can you put into words what you saw as the biggest difference between the version that you directed and the earlier versions? What was the most striking change that you can imagine or that you can think of? Mm -hmm. I think we wanted to try and achieve as much scale as we could in that tiny room. (laughs) We were in the tank house, which is a pretty intimate space. And I think we wanted to explore the environment of the facility, um, Mm -hmm. seeing how much we could achieve with design. Uh, In -hmm. previous versions, the design was quite spare. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, I, I loved the previous versions. And I think for Yellow Rabbit, we got to play on a bigger canvas and that was a a really fun time. And I think we learned a lot um, from from having a, a bigger space to work with. Also, I'm trying to think. It was a few years ago now, mm. so I'm I'm recalling back to that time. Yeah, I think also just having more tools at our disposal in terms of uh, video and uh, so much of that environment was created through sound. So Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. our sound designer was able to get really detailed 
um, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a different cast as well. April sure. wasn't in the, in the previous versions and her character didn't really exist before. So it was a totally different story and a different arc. Hmm. Nice. Um, in terms of, of the work that you've been doing since the pandemic started, mm-hmm. um, how much of what you've been doing has been online? And I don't know what the current situation is in Vancouver about mm-hmm. lockdown or contact and things like that. So um, are theaters open or currently or are they still closed and things are mostly online? Most things are online. A few companies had some in-person performances, which later on were closed down again, which was quite, you know, heartbreaking, but that is how it is right now. Um, In terms of my own personal work, it's been a mix. I just finished two days ago, actually. Um, I just finished shooting a performance. So it's a performance called K Body and Mind that we've mm. been developing for the last two years. Uh, it really is a hybrid of uh, theater and film and movement, and originally was meant to premiere at the Shadbolt Center for the Arts mm. uh, this fall. And we knew, I guess back in April or May, that we didn't want to try and do an in-person showing um Mm. we just felt it you know it was just too unknown what was going to happen and so we pivoted to filming it um Mm. and i'm i'm really excited about what this project is going to be because there's no question that it's theater um the final project the final product will be you know three kind of episodic um Uh, or three episodes of the piece uh, but the performance style is is theater you know we're doing choreography um, the vocal performance you know it's it's myself and one other performer we're playing you know easily a dozen characters each so I think in this time we're really expanding our definitions of, of what performance and what theater can be. In, in that time when you were trying to make that decision about, you know, you knew you didn't want to go and you didn't want to try to do it live. And that really wasn't going to work because of all the uncertainty and everything else. There have been so many different options as far as digital goes, whether trying to do a live stream or some kind of Zoom production or all of the different things. How did you land on a filmed production? And did you consider um, other other means of, of presenting it? Mm-hmm. I think that each performance, the form will present what the best um, what the best way to deliver it is. And for this particular form, we knew that in order to capture the essence of the performance, it would be more authentic to film it, to pre-record it rather than to stream it. Because we knew that as theater artists, we didn't have the know-how or the capacity to be able to broadcast it in a way that would that would truly capture 
what that performance is. Mm-hmm. And that was very important to the creators. Um, and I think they made the right choice. Um, but at that time, it was also decided that this would be an experiment and that there will be a live premiere eventually. Um, the Shadbolt has still committed to doing the live premiere. So that's really exciting. Um, and we're really grateful for their support. Um, so we recognize that watching something in two dimensions is not the same as living and breathing in the same room. And we're not Mm. going to try and replicate that. Mm. Um, The offering online is a different offering and that's okay. Um, And one day we will do the live version and it'll feel different. And also it'll likely be staged a little differently and we'll probably make adjustments. Mm. So I think that's, that's the real kind of fun adventurous part of it is knowing that in each adaptation it's going to be different um and that we're learning from from every experiment we do (laughs) Mm. now as experiments i mean in in some ways i feel like everything that that every theater artist is trying to do online it is an experiment because Mm -hmm. Uh, so many of us are figuring out and learning new skills and trying to to do new things. I mean, nobody I knew knew anything really about live streaming um, in February last year. <laughs> um, and then by April, there everybody had to figure it out mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, or were there particular skills that you found for yourself or that you had that you ended up researching and 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 sort of becoming as that that now go in your back pocket as a as as a skill or knowledge that you didn't have previously. Mhm. Well, funnily enough, I feel like my my uh I'm much more comfortable in front of a camera now. <laughs> Um, at least at my theater school, we had very little on-screen training. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel much more practiced at that. But, you know, I I don't know what actor, you know, hasn't bought a ring light in this time or a USB microphone or, yeah. you know, had to, had to acquire new skills and new tools. Um, but that is how our trade is, is changing. And I think it speaks to the resilience of this community um, Mm. and our desire above all else to connect with an audience. Um, I haven't had to do too much of the heavy lifting in terms of, you know, learning how to edit or learning how to use OBS or any of these programs. Um, But I certainly love connecting with the people who do know those things. Mm. Um, And I think that's part of it, you know, um, as artists, we expect so much of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's been such a short amount of time. and, And I think I recognized going into this 
that I wasn't going to, you know, berate myself for not knowing these things immediately and that Mm. it's okay to ask for help and to reach out to the people who were already doing this before or who just, you know, are able to pick up that vocabulary, um, you know, way faster than I, than I possibly could. So, um, shout out to all my friends who, uh, (laughs) who know this stuff. (laughs) One of the things that I've really appreciated, and it sort of speaks to, I think, the theater world, is that um, I've seen so many people really generous with their knowledge. Mm. Like somebody will will say, I'm trying to figure out how to do X. And so many people will be like, oh, you could do that with this. And here's how. Here You could do this with, the, with, with this. And here's how. And mm-hmm. I could show you, if you've got 15 minutes, let's go on a screen share and I'll show you how to do it. And mm-hmm. it's, I think, really heartening to mm-hmm. see how generous people have been with the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that was already happening, but maybe, you know, they were happening over coffee dates or phone calls or, you know, just backstage at a theater. Someone's mm. saying, oh, I don't know how to do this. And someone's saying, hey, okay, I'll show you, you know, let's you know, meet over our break and and I'll explain. Um, And there are so many connections within our community that, you know, don't necessarily make their way onto social media. So many, you know, kind of behind the scenes heroes. Mm -hmm. And especially in this time when we can't gather, I think there's even more desire to reach out and to be there for each other and to try and help um, mm. in whatever way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're, I definitely think you're right. I think that we are seeing it more because it's happening more on on social media. But, mm-hmm. you know, on the other side, I think it's healthy to for people to see people asking the question. Definitely. I know when I was a lot younger, um, I thought, and sort of, I don't know, it might've been a product of being in theater school where, you know, there's so much insecurity and things like that. And you mm-hmm. feel like if I don't know something, I'm going to get kicked out or something or whatever, because there's so many, mm-hmm. you know, there's the fear of cuts at that time mm-hmm. um, that I felt like if I, if I didn't know something, I could not ask. And oh. I think it's helpful. That was a long time ago. I've since grown out of that. But like, I think it's helpful for people to see people asking for help mm-hmm. so that it becomes a normalization that like, yeah. if you don't know how the technology works, you can ask and people aren't going to call you stupid because you don't know. They're going to be generous and give you the and teach you how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, with so many conversations we've been having over the last few years about mental health, about kind of burnout culture, you know, I think that now in the pandemic, when we're going through, you know, kind of seemingly endless collective trauma, there has been permission given to be vulnerable Um, and to speak openly about what you might be going through or what you might need help with, whether it's a technical question or a mental health question. And Mm. I've seen such outpouring of support online. And that always gives me hope and faith that, you know, these tools um, 
can be used for for good. I th- I think one of the byproducts of of the pandemic and the distancing and the theaters being closed, some of it is 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 you know the lamenting like I'm so out of practice how to be in a room and all of this stuff. But <laughs> in some ways, it's it's gone on long enough that when we come back to the to the rehearsal hall, mm-hmm. we're all going to have to relearn how to do it. And there's a freedom in that, that the rules that, and the things that happened in the room before, mm-hmm. those don't apply anymore because now we are in a, po- we'll be in a post-pandemic rehearsal hall <laughs> where we're all relearning how to be in a room, which is kind mm-hmm. of a fascinating and amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just going to be such joy in just being able to be in the rehearsal hall that absolutely i i really hope that it gives us permission to play and take risks and you know maybe look silly and and fall on our faces a little bit because mm. you know we've we've been patient and and you know we're waiting for that time when we can kind of just let her rip you know mm. and it's kind of a great equalizer. You know, I'm looking forward to that time when, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for 30 years or for, you know, three months, you're coming in fresh, you're coming in, you know, hungry to dive into the work and to hopefully be together to create something bigger than any one of us. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I, I look forward to that and I look forward to um, just like the, the the like everybody in a room being joyful because it's <laughs> let's face it, it is going to be more than a year before we do that. Mm. The pandemic will have closed the theaters for at least a year. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, since we're all on that equal footing and we're all out of practice and we're all rusty <laughs> to be able to go back in and 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 acknowledge that hey i think i'm really bad at this right now let's all be really bad at this and 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 fall on our faces for the first few days absolutely yeah and i think you know i've seen so many people finding creative ways to still be in practice so you know no one's saying that you have to just put your 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 skills on the shelf and, you know, not touch them for a year. There are so many different platforms and different opportunities to still connect with people. Um, And something that has been really beneficial in this time, um, you know, kind of the lemonade out of of all of this, is I've seen more uh, cross-country collaboration now than Mm. than I've seen in in my time in in the industry because we have the tools to be able to do that and being able to support each other's work too you know I'm out Mm. here in Vancouver but I'm still able to see work in Toronto because it's all online and you know likewise there are artists in Toronto that I have seen that are watching work out here who maybe Mm. wouldn't have been exposed to some of the artists who are who are working out here. So now can can also be a very fruitful, joyful time, just in a different way. Um, and 
I'm always surprised, you know, when I get on certain Zoom calls and, you know, there's a whole bunch of us in there and we're jamming ideas. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget that we're occupying digital space because we're Mm. just in the creative process. And when you're Mm. in that creative process, you know, you're not focused on whether or not we're in the same room. We're exchanging ideas. We're you know, adding to each other's ideas. And and I still get that rush of excitement when that's happening. Yeah. I have this, this, this hope that because I love the fact that like, I can see theater in St. John, New Brunswick, Fredericton, New Brunswick, Halifax, Winnipeg, uh, uh, Vancouver. I can see these things coming from all over. Mm -hmm. And I kind of don't want to lose that when yeah. we go back into the theaters. Mm-hmm. I would love to see theaters still offer a digital ticket to a performance, like mm-hmm. set up. I know that there are theaters. I know that in St. John, the, the St. John Theater Company, they're intending to keep the three camera setup that they currently have in their small the- in their theater yeah. as a permanent mm-hmm. fixture so that like you'll be able to watch it digitally from across the country, mm-hmm. you'll be able to buy a digital ticket. And I mm-hmm. think that would be in, an incredible way to open up the country to see the work that, that people are doing in different places and to be both inspired and, 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 and sort of like infected by the amazing work that's happening everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And I think artists and patrons alike need to tell theaters that. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Um, I think it is an investment in the future. I think it's also about making theater more accessible. So before the pandemic, so many disability activists were fighting for this. And, mm. and you know, there are so many activists who are saying, oh, you know, it took the rest of society to be in the position that we're often in, in terms of, you know, not having the option to go to the theater. Um you know, now that everyone's at home, this option has now become available to the wider public. But even after we're able to return to theaters, there's still a lot of people who could benefit mm-hmm. um, from these from these offerings. And I'm so glad you you mentioned that that it's it's not just you know to kind of tide us over, but it it will strengthen our theaters and also our national ecology. But, you know, I know people who have watched Canadian work who are in Australia, who are in the yeah. UK, um, in the Philippines, you know. So uh, it's it's not just opening it up to the rest of the country, but, mm-hmm. but the international community too. Yeah. There is sort of a, a barrier to that. And I, I, you know, I as somebody who supports unions, I hate to shit on the unions, but sometimes um, the you know, there can be gates that mm. the unions keep. And I know there, that there was a battle going on between in, in the U S between equity and SAG AFTRA. Um, yeah. And they came to a temporary agreement on that with many, many stipulations. <laughs> and I would hate to see that kind of thing end up happening here. First off that, that say the, the, that, that equity would be against, uh, video broadcasting and then having having actor come in and say well if it's broadcast video then it ha- we have to follow actor rules as well mm-hmm. and all of these sorts of things mm-hmm. i would hate to see those sorts of things destroy the possibility 
of of the of opening the theater to more people. Right. And then I, you know, with that, then I do think it's up to membership to. To, you know, let their union representatives know what's going to work best for them, because ultimately the union, the union is supposed to support its membership. Um, uh, I'm an I'm a member of both Equity and ACTRA. And so far, it's it's been pretty good. It's been pretty understanding. And, um, you know, yes, it's there's no current framework for how it's you know, we've never done this before. So um, I've heard a lot of different organizations and productions really having to negotiate on a case by case basis. Um, And, you know, I'm sure in the future we we probably will work towards more of a, you know, kind of standard model. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it does come to the, you know, the membership and the organizations to advocate for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I've been asking everybody who comes on since March, since the pandemic started, Mm -hmm. is about joy and the joy that they've been able to find in their everyday life to get them through the day because we all need that. And I'm so curious about the things that that my guests are are doing to to keep their joy. So what has been giving you joy uh, <laughs> in the last little while to, to keep you going? You know, a lot of things, a lot of things. And and they're mostly small. Um, my room is is full of plants. Uh, natural life recharges me. I mean, that's actually a big reason why I moved out to Vancouver was to be closer to nature. Um, In the early days of the lockdown, every day I would go for a really long walk and explore different neighborhoods in the city because, you know, I was still fairly new. And being able to experience neighborhoods on foot is totally different. Um, And having the time to do that and to take in your environment. And, Mm. you know, I, I used to be on a plane every three to six weeks, like last year in the span of seven months, I flew nine times. (laughs) Um, and it was a lot, It, it, it was really hard on my body. And now not having the option to get on a plane and, and having to move so much slower, um, has been really good for me. Uh, and so it, it fills me with so much joy, you know, sometimes seeing certain strangers, but the same person in my neighborhood who I've never met before and will probably never introduce myself, but I love seeing them in the neighborhood, you know, or, um, just watching the seasons change. Um, and then, you know, on a very silly note, I, I've gotten into K-pop recently. Like I really <clears> oh. <laughs> so much joy right now. Nice. Um, you know, it's high energy, it's high aesthetics. You know, if you want theatricality, watch some K-pop videos. It's mm. like all the entertainment you need. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, those are just two examples, but um, you know, simple things. Uh, it rains all the time here, as I'm sure you know. Um, and Christine Quintana, dear friend, and uh, you know Dora Winner, and uh, recently published, uh, she gave me the tip. I said, "How do you survive the winters in 
in Vancouver and she said, you know, it really helps to just light a candle, even if it's in the morning, if it's gray outside, you light a candle and you, you know, you've got light in your room. Mm. Like, oh, mm. it's a great idea. And even just, I've kind of just have that ritual now of like, okay, I'm just going to light this candle and watch the flame flicker. And, and, you know, when you really think about fire and a flame, you're like, oh, this is magic. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, for me, one of the things I, I I haven't been to Vancouver in many years, but the the last time I was there, um, it started to rain as soon as I landed. Of course. <laughs> and it didn't stop until the day I left. Yep. And I said to my friend, This is this is pretty extreme. And my friend said, Um, this is winter yeah. here. Yeah. And that's when I knew that I was never gonna be one of those people who was gonna pick up and move to Vancouver right. from Ontario because I would not have been able to to deal with the rain, but a candle sounds like an excellent idea <laughs> to get through it. But you know, here's the thing, um, and I guess this is kind of like a, a tangent from our theater conversations. But like right now, I'm looking through my window. I can see the snow capped mountain mountains. I can see you know uh, tall pines swaying that are taller than the buildings, and it's actually a really uh, bright blue sky. So sometimes you have a week of nonstop rain and then you get a day like this and somehow you just mm. forget. You're like, mm. oh yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> ah, that makes a lot of sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Jasmine, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I feel like I could talk to you all day. 